As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Jade. Uh, let's bow our heads and pray together. Lord, thank you for your word, your word that gives life to us, your word that speaks truth to us, your word that is the very voice of God. But we pray right now that you would also make your word sweet to us, desirable to us. We pray that we would pay attention uh, because we love you and you first loved us. And so thank you for this time that even after all of our singing, our praying, our communing, our even laughing together, uh, that we would give you the attention you deserve as you speak into our lives, into our hearts. Help us not only to hear, but to obey, to follow, and to change, to grow, to follow, to love like you. So have your way with us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, today we are starting a new sermon series on the Ten Commandments, uh, the summary that we find in the Bible of the moral law of God. Each week we're going to take one of the Ten Commandments, take a close look at the meaning and the relevance of each commandment and grow together as a community. And what are the Ten Commandments? Well, you shall have no other gods before me. Uh, You shall not make any carved image and bow down to them. You shall not take the Lord's name in vain. You shall honor your father and your mother. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness or lie against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's possessions. And you hear those ten, and perhaps maybe if you were surprised at that list, well, what's that one doing in there? Or, hey, didn't we forget one of them? What's not in there? What is, well, you know, if you felt surprised, you're not alone. In fact, according to one survey, only 14% of Americans could name all ten of the Ten Commandments. And I'm not sure that professing Christians in the church could do much better. Now, in saying that, my point is not to cast shame over us, over you, but rather to encourage us. This is one reason why this series might be needed. This is one reason why we want to put this before you. You might be wondering why we're studying, of all things, the Ten Commandments, because maybe you're thinking immediately, gosh, aren't those commandments a little outdated? Are they even relevant anymore? I mean, no one even seems to remember them, as we just said. Maybe the Ten Commandments remind you of just strict religious household rules that you grew up with, and maybe you'd rather just not go back there. Or maybe they seem to you, have always seemed to you, to be like ten random rules, some of which are obvious, don't murder, and some of which are not so obvious, or maybe even might strike you as being a little bit oppressive, at least in the way that tradition has applied them. 
but I'd like to propose to you as we begin that the Ten Commandments just may be one of the most misunderstood parts of the entire Bible. And I'd like to propose that rightly understood, the Ten Commandments are actually an invitation to be whole and healed human beings. It's God's beautiful vision for how life works best in worship, in justice, in love. It's actually a call to vibrant, loving relationship, restored relationship with God, with ourselves, and with one another, with our neighbors. And in the end, the Ten Commandments is is actually, among other things that it is, it's a call to be more like Jesus and to live a life that reflects his moral beauty. Do you want to be a more beautiful person, then let's listen to the Ten Commandments. Will you join us over the next 11 weeks and see how? Today we're beginning with what's often called the preface or the preamble to the Ten Commandments. See, the actual list of commandments begin in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, and the first one you see is the last line in today's reading. You shall have no other gods before me. But what comes before that? How does God introduce the Ten Commandments? Well, let me read for you verses 1 and 2 of chapter 20 towards the bottom there. Let me read it for you once again. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of of slavery. That's the preface. That's the beginning. That's where we need to start as we approach the Ten Commandments. And we're going to look at this in three parts. First, the motor of the Ten Commandments. Secondly, the reading of the Ten Commandments. And lastly, the purpose of the Ten Commandments. Motor, reading, purpose. Let's take a look. First, the motor. I mean, suppose you're walking down the street after service and a stranger were to come up to you, and they say, listen, I've been noticing your life, and there's like a couple of areas where I think you kind of need to make some improvements. A total stranger that says, hey, you need to shape up in this and this and this area of your life. Well, most likely, your response, very reasonably, would be, who does this person think they are? Maybe you might even feel a little offended, especially if that person isn't a stranger, but even an enemy, someone that you've been having trouble with. But what if that person that approached you was a dear friend? What if they were someone who had already, after many years, won your trust, made deep and loving sacrifices for you? What if they're the ones that said, you know what? There are a couple areas in in your life. There's some areas maybe that you might need to straighten out. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy to hear that, for oftentimes it's not but at least you would know where that person was coming from. You might even find some ways to respond to them in a healthy way and grow and change. Listen, how do the Ten Commandments begin? What's the motor, the the spiritual power that drives it? Do you know what it is? It's a love story. It's a love story. See, God doesn't immediately launch into a list of demands. All right, sit down. Don't murder, stop stealing, get with the program. Instead, 
He reminds his people, and you and me, together with the Israelites way back then, he reminds his people from the outset of his redeeming love. I have rescued you. I have freed you. I love you. Friends, this changes everything. Let me explain. We began our scripture reading here, not at Exodus 20, but move back one chapter to Exodus chapter 19. And there we learn that it's been at this point three months since the Israelites, led by Moses, had departed, had left Egypt. And now they're in the desert. And they've camped out at the base of Mount Sinai, this tall mountain. Now, it is true that when God gave the Ten Commandments to his people, we're told in verse 16 that there was thunder and lightning, and there was smoke and a thick cloud. It was a very dramatic scene, in fact, a terrifying scene. In verse 18, we're also told the Lord descended on that mountain in fire, and the whole mountain trembled violently, and the people trembled too. And all of that vividly portrays the holiness and the majesty of God that's revealed in the Ten Commandments. God is God. His word is final. God is the lawgiver, and the Ten Commandments bear his authority. We need to remember this. We would do well to approach the Ten Commandments with awe and even some trembling. But that's not all that we find here. That's not all that God does and says. God also immediately revealed his love, his mercy, his even affection for his people. In verse 3, he calls his people descendants of Jacob. That's his reminding them that I made a promise to your father and father's father and father's father dating all the way back to Jacob and before him, Abraham. I promised that I would do good to his people and that's you. You are a people of promise. You are a people of covenant. He reminds them also how he delivered them from Egypt, how he rescued them from bondage how he took them through the Red Sea, how he's carried them even through the wilderness, providing for them miracle bread, manna, and quail. He's fed them. He's protected them. He's given them new life. And he reminds them, I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. In verse 4, using the picture of a mother bird taking care of her younglings. What a picture of God's relationship with his people. And in verse 5, he calls them my treasured possession. You are, if you are in Christ, God's treasured possession. And this is what we need to realize as we come to the Ten Commandments. Friends, in the Ten Commandments, grace comes first. God's love, his affection, his commitment to you always sets the stage. 
I mean, this is the all-important lesson of the preface to the Ten Commandments. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the house of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. God doesn't give his commands so that you can then follow them and then earn his love and acceptance. No, God starts and he already establishes his love with the Israelites, establishes his relationship, his promise to them. God has already proven his love. See, love comes before law. Covenant comes before command. God's relationship comes before the rules. And that means... The logic of the Ten Commandments is not, I obey the Ten Commandments and therefore God loves and accepts me. But rather, and this is gospel good news, it's the reverse. God loves and accepts me, therefore I obey the Ten Commandments. You see, this is the directionality, this is everything in understanding the Christian life. And this is how it's so different from every other religious scheme, every other way of thinking about how one relates to God. Not I obey, therefore God loves me, but rather God loves me and therefore out of the strength of that love, out of the security of that love, not in order to earn or work for his love, but because I already have it, I now want to obey his commands because I love him in return. That is the logic of the gospel. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. I love you. I brought you out of darkness. You belong to me and I belong to you. I am your God, Christ died for you, setting you free from the slavery of sin. Now, obey these commands as an expression of your trust, as an expression of your love for God in return. Do you see the difference that that makes? The spiritual motor of the Ten Commandments is not fear, though it might make you tremble. The spiritual motor of the Ten Commandments ultimately is not guilt. Oh, gosh, I I need a, oh. It's love. It's joy. It's affection. And this changes everything about how we step into the Ten Commandments, how we step into this series right from the start. We know that this is an invitation to deeper and deepened relationship with God. And this is also why we should never read the Ten Commandments without also reading this preface. Don't jump right in and say, all right, bear up, remember the Sabbath day. Oh, don't steal. Stop. No. Every time, I'm the Lord your God. I brought you out of bondage. I'm your Savior. I promise. I love you. I forgive you. I died for you. Now here, be like me. That's the invitation. That's the motor of the Ten Commandments. It's love. Second point. Someone says, look, that's great, but these commandments still don't make sense to me. They seem kind of like this random list of ten, and why these ten and not these other things? How do I read and interpret the Ten Commandments? So, second point, the reading of the Ten Commandments. Commandments. 
You might be familiar with the, the little phrase, really it's an acronym, TLDR with a, a semicolon in between. It's sort of internet slang that's become more common. It's something that people use in order to indicate either that your email was just too long or I know with apologies, my email is long, so let me summarize it in short for you. TLDR stands for what? Too long, didn't read. Some of you know this too well. So the whole idea of a TLDR notice, right, you're writing an email, this is one way you can use it, is at the start of the email, you know you just drafted a couple pages of information in either out of mercy or realism. You know your coworkers or your friends aren't going to read the whole thing. So what do you say? You say, okay, TLDR, here's the version of the email that I want to just give to you. One line summary. This is what's upcoming. This is what I'm going to say. This is what we have to understand about the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are the TLDR version of God's moral law. It's a summary of all that the Bible will explicate about the heart of God, about how life works best. So the Ten Commandments don't say everything, but they are a summary of what God intends to say about his commands. And for the longer version, then, well, you got to read the whole email. you got to read the whole Bible and see all that God has said. So that means when we approach the Ten Commandments, we have to learn what the summary points, the ten actually point to as it's unfolded. What are the additional commands, additional ideas, additional things that are behind these 10? So, for example, I want to give you three helpful principles that help us to open up each of these commands. And this is what we're going to do over the next 10 weeks. So I just want to give you a little bit of the framework of how we are interpreting these and how we're reading them. Three helpful principles that we actually learn from Jesus himself and his apostles when they, in the New Testament writings, talk about the Ten Commandments and explain to us how to apply them. So, three principles. The first one is this, inside and outside. Inside and outside. What that means is that the Ten Commandments are spiritual, and so they don't apply only to our outside behavior, our external life, They also apply to the matters interior, inside our souls, right into our hearts. So the Ten Commandments apply to our outside and our inside. This is the inside-outside principle. So, for example, let me give you one. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 5, verse 21, in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. This is what he says. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. So that's command six, right? You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to to judgment. But I say to you, Jesus says, that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. What did Jesus just do there? Jesus just said that the sixth commandment doesn't only refer to the external tangible behavior of actually ending another person's life sinfully, immorally, it also refers to the murder of the heart. Hatred, anger. In fact, this is what 1 John chapter 3, verse 15 says as well. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. This is the inside-outside principle. The sixth commandment also applies to murdering people in your heart. 
The seventh command, adultery, also refers to the lust of the heart, not just the outward actions of the body, and so on and so forth, inside, outside. Second principle for interpreting the Ten Commandments. Second one is do's and don'ts. Do's and don'ts. And here's what that means. Whenever a negative command is given, you shall not, then the opposite positive responsibility is also always implied. You shall. And the reverse is true as well. When a positive command is given, then the negative opposite command is also implied. So let me give you one example. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, the Apostle Paul says this, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. So that's commandment what? Anybody know? Eight. Yes, you got it right. Okay, uh, commandment eight, right? So don't steal, but listen to what the apostle says. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. So what does the positive, negative, or the do's and don'ts principle tell us? Well, the eighth commandment is not just don't take away things from people sinfully. It also implies share generously, work diligently, give to your neighbor and don't take from them as well. You see, the commands are not only inside and outside, but they are always do's and don'ts. Every command, one through ten, is both a do and a don't, a long catalog of different ways that we can apply this in our lives. Third principle, command and category. So all the ten commandments are inside and outside. They are do's and don'ts. And finally, they are commands and they are categories. This is how the Westminster Larger Catechism, an old uh, explication, explanation of the Ten Commandments in one of its parts, tells us about how we can understand the Ten Commandments. Under one sin or duty, all of the same kind are forbidden or commanded. In other words, each of the Ten Commandments is not only a specific command, it's also a category. So, for example, in Colossians 3, verse 20, we hear this, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And that specifically is an opening up of the Fifth Commandment, honor your father and mother. But in the next verse, listen to what the Apostle says. Immediately after, fathers do not exasperate your children or they will become discouraged. See, so the Fifth Command includes how parents should treat their children and not just how the children should relate to their parents. So now this command actually, according to the Bible, touches on the entirety of relationships within the family. And not only does it tell how parents should treat their children. So you understand what I'm saying, right? The fifth commandment explicitly only says honor your father and mother to children. But now the Bible is saying, but children, but parents, you, fathers and mothers, you need to take care of your children and not only parents, but also anyone in positions of authority. Now you also should take care of those that are under your care. It's a whole category that is being referenced here. Not just the narrow command, but the whole category, inside and out, do's and don'ts, command and 
category. And when we start to relate to the Ten Commandments in this way, you start to see all the ways in which the Ten Commandments address how we use our possessions, how we relate to our neighbor, what happens in our thought life, what we do with our bodies as sexual beings, what we're doing with our time, how we work, uh, whether we are filled with pride, It deals with patience. It deals with the love of our hearts. It deals with just about everything in life. In fact, the Ten Commandments, therefore, rightly read, is not just about ten things, but rather embedded in these ten things is a whole range of commands and topics that covers every area of life. In other words, this is how it's true that the Ten Commandments is actually a TLDR summary of the entirety of God's moral law. Every single sin that we find in the Bible is a violation of one or multiple commandments from the Ten Commandments all at once. It's all in here in some way, shape, or form. And everything that God calls us to be and do in relation to him and in relation to one another is also found in the Ten Commandments rightly read and rightly understood. So consider these three quick principles as you approach them and listen for them as we talk about the Ten Commandments over these next several weeks together. But here, let's talk about this. How then would we respond? How should we let the Ten Commandments take effect in our lives as we hear these various do's and don'ts? And we hear this call to conformity and we hear this call to pay attention to not just the exterior but the interior of our lives, both the commands and the categories. What Is the Ten Commandments purpose, third point, the purpose of the law here? And let me give you three and then we're done. Number one, the purpose of the Ten Commandments is to humble us. So as we work through all these details of all that the commandments mean, and we unfold the fullness of its relevance to our lives, God intends to humble us. Just the other day, my daughter looked at me while I was just having a conversation with her, and she just stopped me and says, Daddy, you got something black in your teeth right now. I said, thanks. And then, of course, immediately I went to go check the mirror. Why? Because I can't see my own face without a mirror or without another person telling me what I look like. See, the Ten Commandments are like a mirror. They help us to see what we otherwise wouldn't even notice about our own lives. They help us to see our flaws. They help us to see where there are gaps between what God calls us to do and be and what we actually are. Romans chapter 7 verse 7 says this, I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, thou shalt not covet. And that's commandment what? Number 10, the last one. The Apostle Paul continues, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it used what is good to bring about my death so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. In other words, I wouldn't have even known what was wrong with my heart if I had not heard this command that said, you know, coveting ain't right. Wanting something that doesn't belong to you. Even grasping for your neighbor's thing or relationship or reputation, that's not right. Without God telling me so, I wouldn't have known. 
And if I actually listen to him, it brings me to my knees. In fact, Paul uses the language of death. It kills me. It slays me. It brings me to the end of my self. You see, the Ten Commandments reveal our utter inability to live in love like we're called to. And it brings us to our knees at the feet of Jesus. It humbles us so that it actually reveals our need for Jesus. Why are we doing this study? Well, for some part of it is this. Some of us haven't been hungry for Jesus, haven't rejoiced in his love, haven't clapped your hands and danced at the promise of forgiveness because you don't think your sin is that bad. And so we want to put a mirror in front of you by opening up the Ten Commandments, not to make you feel bad, but to help you to die (laughs) so that Jesus might live and so that he might loom large. Salvation ain't great if you don't know what you've been saved from. Forgiveness is no gift if you don't think you need it. God's love is no big deal if you don't realize what it cost him to send his son to die for you for all of your sins, past, present, and future, and the Ten Commandments puts in front of you a mirror so that you can see that black thing in your teeth and more. The Ten Commandments humbles us, but in a way that gives us life. St. Augustine wrote this many years ago, saying about God's law, the Ten Commandments convinces man of his weakness and compels him to apply for the medicine of grace, which is Christ. It shows that you have no power on your own for righteousness and might thus, poor, needy, and destitute, flee to grace. If we're studying the Ten Commandments rightly, it should make you love Jesus more. Number one, it humbles us. Number two, the purpose of the Ten Commandments is to restrain sin. To restrain the sin in my life and to restrain sin in the world. Look, the Bible is very clear. The commandments by themselves do not have power to change our hearts. Just because God says, stop coveting, okay, (laughs) right? It doesn't by itself have the power to change our sinful, broken hearts. But it does tell us that the Ten Commandments is something like a leash. It's not just a mirror, it's also like a leash. And what's a leash? Well, when you're walking down the street, as often happens in our city blocks, and you see this gnarly-looking dog that looks like he hasn't eaten in a long time, kind of yanking on the, uh, the, the owner's leash, and they're walking by you, look, even if you see the dog is on a leash, you might feel a little bit more safe, but you also will kind of walk around a little bit carefully. Why? Because that dog still can lunge, might be able to get to you, but maybe not all the way. In the same way, the commands do work as a leash, meaning they are able to restrain our sins. They're not going to stop the sin in your heart, not by itself. Just because God says, don't steal, doesn't mean that your heart is automatically changed. But being reminded that you should not steal can actually help your conscience to remember that you shouldn't. Having that command in front of you can help you remember, can help burden your soul in a good way. Gosh, I shouldn't be that way. Gosh, I should address this. Gosh, I really need to grow in this way. It doesn't have the power to change you, but it can be a leash to restrain you 
from sin, can be a leash to harness and hold back the full blossomed evil in our hearts or even in this world beyond our individual lives, the way in which it can make our society more just, more righteous, less evil, and less sinful. The commands can hold us back at least for a second. Third and finally, what's the purpose of the Ten Commandments? Not only to humble us, not only to restrain sin in us, but finally to show us how to love. See, the Ten Commandments is kind of like a picture frame. It gives us a picture to show us what love looks like. And you might say, wait a minute, all it says is don't murder, don't, what what do you mean love? When Jesus was asked by an expert in the law who was really trying to throw a curveball at him, said, how do you read the law? And what we have in Luke 10 is that exchange. The teacher of the law says, what's written in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. So there you have it. What is the sum total? What is the heart? What is the bottom line of the Ten Commandments? It's love. What do you know? It begins with love. It ends with love. It's love through and through. God is teaching us how to love. One of the most important things for you to do is, as we're listening to 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, asking ourselves constantly, how is this a form of love? Jesus said, to God, love for God, and love for neighbor. In fact, traditionally, readers of the Ten Commandments have said commandments number one through four focus primarily on loving God, and commandments five through ten focus primarily on loving neighbor. So one through four and five through ten, in truth, all of them have some aspect of both of those, loving God and loving neighbor. But the bottom line is this. We are being taught how to love like Jesus loved. And this is so important for us to understand, lest we turn this into some strange, wooden, legalistic exercise. Again, the point is not to earn God's favor, but to live out of God's favor already given to us in Christ. The point is not just to learn about rules and laws that we need to abide by. The point is to learn to love. Love God and love our neighbors. And if we understand that right, we start to see the beauty of the Ten Commandments. I hope Pastor Yancey and I are able to do that week in and week out, that we're able to help you to see just how radiant and how beautiful each of these commandments are, why they are good news, why they are lovely, how they show us how to love our God and love one another better. Because you see, when you look at that picture frame, what you see right in the middle of it all, right at the heart of the Ten Commandments, you know what you see? You see the face of Jesus. Because no one loved perfectly like he loved. Literally. Every commandment is at its heart, love God and love neighbor. And Jesus didn't break a single aspect of that call to love. You see, learning about the Ten Commandments is learning about all that Jesus has done for us. It's helping us to grow into the moral beauty of Jesus. You want to become more like Christ? Have you encountered his love for you in such a way that you say, man, I want to be like him, and I want to love just like he has loved me. Guess what? Here's your chance 
to grow in just that. The Ten Commandments gives us a blueprint as to how we can grow gives us commands and categories, gives us a a revelation of our hearts inside as well as our behaviors on the outside, puts a mirror in front of our face, humbles us, makes us run to Jesus even more, restrains sin in our life, and makes us grow in awe and wonder at the love of Christ even as we feel compelled to grow in love ourselves. This is what's laid before us. Isn't that great? Isn't that exciting? 11 weeks together considering the law of God. 11 weeks together considering the love of God and neighbor. Let's pray together. Jesus, we are praying for your Holy Spirit to help us in this time, not only giving us just this quick intro as to how we can understand the Ten Commandments, but now whet our appetites and and give us eagerness of heart to grow as you plan to grow us over the next 10 weeks. Thank you for this part of your word. Thank you for even these commands. They make us tremble. They, 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 they increase awe in our hearts. Uh, the mountain does shake, uh, but it also quakes and shakes with your forgiving love and with the power of your Holy Spirit. And so come near to us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.